0: We're in the third week of a series that we've been calling Moments, and the premise of the series is real, real simple. At the end of the day, as we look back over our life, as we look back over our month, as we even look back over our day, we don't remember every detail of everything that happened. We remember the moments that happened. We remember those defining moments that shaped us, whether they shaped us for something good. Man, we got all Baptists today. We got Easter lilies on the stage. I don't even know who did that. That's like putting a tuxedo on a pig, man. At the end of the day, it's still a pig. You know. (laughs) There's a reason we painted this thing black and gray. It just covers the nastiness of this old building. That's a moment right there. I always remember the day we had Easter lilies. First time in 20 years of me being in ministry, I've had Easter lilies on stage. But we're shaped by the moments in our life. You look back at the day you got married. You remember the moments. You remember, for me, I remember when my wife came through those doors and started to walk down the aisle. I I can close my eyes and I can tell you every detail of how her face looked. And how her dress looked, and how her makeup looked, and how her hair was fixed. She literally took my breath away. And, 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 and I can go back, and it's funny, like I can go back to weddings that I have performed, and it's always my favorite moment, my wife, I tell you, because I know the excitement I felt when it happened. I love when the bride starts to come down. I always am watching the bride for one second, and then I flip over to the groom because I want to see the look on their face when the person that they're going to marry walks down the aisle. It's just a powerful moment. And I'm also looking to see if they're about to run, because I'm like, man, i got to grab, we ain't doing this, it's too late now. (laughs) We remember moments with our kids. We remember the first steps they took. We remember the first time they said their first word, whether it was mom or dad or whatever it was. We remember moments. We, We remember the first time that our spouse said those words to us, I Love you. We remember the first time we drove a car. We remember certain things. I, I remember certain moments of concerts that I've been to in my life. We, we remember negative things. I, I remember, and I probably every teenager's done this, and every parent's had to deal with this, and we're probably guilty of doing it. But I remember the first fight me and my oldest daughter ever had. And the first time she looked at me and said those words that break your heart but you know they're going to say it because you got mad at your parents and said it too, and they say, I hate you. It's a horrible feeling, but I can close my eyes, and I remember that moment. <laughs> I, I, I remember the first time I ever preached a sermon. First time I ever preached a sermon, I, and I went to a little old Baptist church, and you, what you would do is you would announce your call to preach. I feel like God's called me to preach, and... The preacher would say, man, that's awesome. I want you to put a sermon together. And I put my sermon together, and I don't know, it was kind of weird because other people had announced their call to preach, and they would preach in the church like on a Sunday night or Wednesday night. I don't know if he looked over my sermon and thought it was so bad. But my first time I ever preached, he said, hey, Wednesday night, I want you to go to the nursing home. We've got chapel service, and you're going to preach. And I'll never forget walking out at that nursing home, and there was about 50 people, not in great shape, but, but I remember a moment. I remember there was a lady in the back who had a wheelchair, and the wheelchair, because I'd never seen this before, the wheelchair was made out of PVC pipe, and from the moment I opened my mouth, for 45 minutes, she screamed and moaned, please, somebody, help me. And I know she probably did that all the time, but I thought, God, my preaching is that bad. <laughs> And, like, no one came to help her, and I was just like, I'm just going to keep on preaching, you know, and I'll never forget that moment. In Winder, Georgia, to this day, I could drive you to that, fu- to the- not that funeral home. I could drive you to that nursing home. <laughs> it's Easter. I'm going to be good. I'm going to move on. I could drive you to that nursing home. Moments. We remember moments. Moments are etched in our memory, good and bad. Moments, they shape us. If we were to be honest, we are who we are because of the moments that have happened to us. It, it, it's funny, moments define us. One bad moment can destroy years of good reputation, and one great moment can make people forget years of bad decisions. Moments are powerful. And so what we've been doing this month is we've been taking this book and we've been looking at some of the key moments in this book. And there's, I told you when I started this series, I said, this could be one of those series that you do for 52 weeks. Man, there's just moment after moment after moment. Normally, I'm always struggling with what I'm going to preach. In this series, I've been struggling on what I'm not going to preach because there's so many phenomenal moments in this book. And we talked the first week about when Jesus is about to return to heaven and he tells the disciples to go into all the world. That's a moment. It's the moment why we're still here, to carry out the mission and to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about that moment when you met Christ and we looked at a dude named Saul who had his life radically changed and he became Paul on the Damascus Road. And today, obviously, we're going to look at the probably the defining moment in the history of the Bible. And the Bible says in Matthew 28 after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. You've got to start that conversation that way you roll up on the scene you're going to check and take care of the body of a loved one who has passed away you show up on the scene and this huge stone has been rolled away the angels just chilling on that thing like it ain't nobody's business the guards who are there to protect and make sure what has happened doesn't happen are acting like they're dead. You know they ain't dead because you can see their chest breathing because they're so scared, but they're playing possum. (laughs) They see the women rolling up because they're out of the corner, they're like, yeah, we acting like we're dead. There's an angel right now on this stone. I'm just going to lay here and chill. And these women rolled up and the angel said, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified he is not here he is risen Amen. that my friend is a moment that my friend is a defining moment You roll up on the scene of where someone you loved and cared for is dead, and there's an angel there. And they look at you and say, hey, I know why you're here, but you're in the wrong place because the one you came to see is no longer here. Yes, you saw him crucified. Yes, you saw him dead. Yes, he was here, but now he is risen. You just don't get over a moment like that. You don't leave that moment and go back to the way things used to be. You don't leave that situation and go about your day, go home, clean the house, cook Sunday brunch, and wait for everybody to come home. It's a moment that was defining. I mean, think about it. They were greeted by an angel. An angel. A freaking angel. (laughs) Not a little fat chubby thing in a loincloth. Not this little sissy looking angel thing we see. It said he looked like light and he's chilling up on the stone. It must have been a scary thing because the guards who were bad to the bone... Are laid out faking they're dead. These are the bad dudes, they're the security. And they're like, we're dead. I saw some situation this morning when this guy's getting mad at me. Some of our security's like, we're dead. <laughs> Three of them said, We're gonna go out there and make sure Carrie don't get beat up too bad. And they were scared to death. It was a moment. (laughs) It was the moment. It was the life changing moment not just for those two ladies but for every human who has ever lived since sin it was the defining moment for us here today it was the defining moment that allowed those people wherever country it is today that have lost their lives to know, immediately when they took their last breath here to stand before the savior because of this moment the bible says be absent from the bodies be present with the lord <laughs> Man, what a moment. And as we look back today, I'm going to keep it real, real simple, because I I get it, man. The Easter ham's in the oven, and the macaroni and cheese is about to get cooked, and we got people coming over today. And I know that some of you are not conditioned for my 45 to 50-minute preaching, because you only come twice a year, and you're not used to that. Or some of you go to another church like three times a year, and that preacher preaches for 15 minutes. He gives you a a three points and a poem and sends you home, and you're not used to some loudmouth redneck who goes for about 50, 55, 60 minutes. And so I, I want to ease you in today. I don't know that we're ever going to come back to the church. That's okay. But you're going to get the full experience today. Fights in the parking lot, people leaving because of music. Pre- I-, I did promise my wife is and I wouldn't say no dirty words. So now I'm on this big kick to who determines what's a dirty word. So I don't know what will come out of my mouth, but we'll see what happens. But it was a moment. It, it was a moment, first of all, that the angel reminded them of their past. He is not here. He has risen. And I like this past tense. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lays. I I, I dig this part of the scripture because it's a reminder, if you will, from the angel. He's reminding them, he's affirming to them the reminder of the crucifixion. Because I would imagine this was a traumatic time in their lives and the mind can be a tricky thing and you show up to the tomb and he's gone from the tomb and maybe for a split second you're like, wait a minute, did what I think happened, happen? Did I imagine that he died? Did did did, so many people say he died? Was I there? Did I see things the way I should have seen them? And so the angels looking in and reminding them, you came to see him. He was here. But he has risen, oh, BTW, just as he said he would. He told you he was going to do it. He's like Babe Ruth, baby. He called his shot and reminded them. Now, the funny thing is, I don't know that these ladies needed any reminder. They had both been there. The fact, though, that his death is emphasized, it reminds us today of the importance of the death of Jesus. It reminds us the importance of his death on the cross his death provided the sacrifice that was needed to cleanse us sinners from our sins heaven is a perfect place it's a holy place and imperfection and obtw we're full of imperfection notice i didn't say you're full of imperfection i said we are full of imperfection Unholy things can't go into a holy place. So Christ came along and he paid a debt that he didn't know because we owed a debt that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't pay. And the angel wanted to remind them of that. He wanted to remind them that they needed to get right with God. The Bible said this in Isaiah 53, Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. We didn't do it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. We didn't work for it. He took it upon him. And by his wounds we're healed. We, you, me, Every other preacher in town who thinks they're without sin, they're part of the we. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I I think it's important that the angel brought up the past. Because I think he just wanted to remind us not to get over what Christ has done and can I be honest with you that I think it's the easiest thing that we do in our life we get so busy living in the tyranny the urgent comes along and life happens and marriage happens and kids happen and bills happen and and the kids acting up happens and work happens and and, and this happens and that happens and little league happens and this happens and we're helping this person move and it's raining on this day and life just happens and we forget that the creator of the universe sent his only son to live on this earth, to give his life for us. And I think the problem with so many people in their walk with God and so many people as they're following Christ is they've just got over what Christ has done. I don't know about you, but I go back all the time and I remember where I was and I remember who I was. And I remember the life that I was living, and the misery that I was living, and the searching that I was li- living, and the trying to find answers that I was living, and I was looking for answers, and everything and anything. And I just never want to get over where Christ has brought me from. I don't ever want to go back there. But we get over it, it becomes ho hum to us. It's kind of like a new car. Anybody ever got a new car? My wife just got a new car. It's got that new car smell. Mm. It's nice, and it's clean. And my wife, if you know anything about her, she's a whole nother level crazy when it comes to cars anyway. And so, like, she just gets mad about it. Like, I I had a plastic gallon jug of water. I laid it on the back of the car. Get that off my car! I mean, I hear it from inside. Like, it came through the doors, through the house. And, like, how does she even know that I had a gallon jug on the back of her car. Then we go to leave last night, and a bird has done his business on her hood. Like, that just happens. Birds do their business where they want to do their business. He didn't care that it was a new car. That bird didn't. He didn't care that it was Christine Lamb's car. I said, so me, you know, I like a needle. I said, you need to take better care of your car. (laughs) And she flipped a switch. Freaking birds, she, she gonna, that's why I hate birds. She hates birds, she does hate them. And she's ramping. I'm like, you hate birds? Like, I'm hey, man, my birds are going to crap on your car, it is what it is. But she's all excited because the car's about a week old. Now, my wife's different than us, because us, we would do that for about a month. Now, my wife's going to do it for about six or seven months because she's psycho about cars. But there's going to come a day, no matter how psycho she is about cars, now, she might not do it now because I'm preaching on her. But we're going to be in a hurry. we got to be somewhere. The kids have not an ate, and she's going to say those words. This one time, you can eat in my car. And if you make a mess in my car, I'm going to kill you. And it's going to happen one time. And then she's going to go back to the way she was. But this time it won't be four or five months. It'll be about two months. Something's going to happen, the kid's going to get to eat in the car. Then it's going to happen about monthly. Then it's going to happen every day because she's just going to realize, you know what, it's just a car, and she's going to get over the newness of her car. That's what we do with our walk with God. At first, man, we're all jacked about what God's done in our life. We're excited about what God's done in our life. We knew we were on our way to a devil's hell. We knew we had no hope. We knew, man, our hurts, our habits, and our hangups were controlled. We knew we were broke, busted, and disgusted, and whatever other cliche I can throw out to you today to show you I'm a good preacher. Listen, we know that we were there and God radically changed our life, but life happens and we just forget about it. It's not that we don't care anymore, but we just get over What he's done for us. Something goes wrong and we get over what he's done for us. And the angel wanted to remind them of their past. He wanted to say, I know it was only a few days ago, but but the one who was crucified for you, he's not here. That was a moment. And the angel reminded them of their present. The angel reminded them of their present. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was, bam, passed, crucified. He is not here. He is risen. He's risen. He is no longer here. He is no longer dead. He's no longer in the grave. He has risen. This right here is the greatest moment ever. This is the greatest proclamation ever. Jesus has risen. This proves Jesus is who he said he was. I don't know that these people had any doubt. I think they were fully devoted. I think they were all out, sold out to the mission of Jesus. I think they bought in to what he was saying. He said, I'm the son of man, and they were bought into it. But I don't care who they are or how sold out they were. Listen, they were humans, and there had to be just a twinge of doubt. It might not have been much, because they might have had more faith than I got. But there just had to be a twinge. And they show up at the tomb, and he's not there anymore. And it confirmed everything that they believed. Their faith finally became fully fulfilled, because they saw with their own eyes what they believed in their hearts for the last few years. What an amazing moment. And I'm here to tell you today. We serve a God who is alive today. He's on the throne today. He's not dead today. He, he paid the penalty for our sin. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. He did what we couldn't do. And I get it. I do this every Easter. And it's so cliche preachery. And I hate it. But it is what it is. I can take you to all the great leaders in the world of religion. And take you to their tombs. But if we went to the tomb of Jesus today, it is empty. He is not there. As Jesus walked around the earth and he proclaimed himself the son of God, he made some crazy proclamations. He said this in John 14, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man comes to the father except through me that's a bold statement you've heard me preach on this a thousand times it's from a famous sermon in the past but when you make a statement like that there's only three ways people can perceive you they can perceive you as a liar he said i am the way i am the truth i am the life no man comes to the father except through me we live in a day and time of tolerance we live in a day and time of, uh, of everybody getting along and everybody's right, but the problem is things that are different are not the same. Someone said, do you believe Jesus is the way? I believe. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in no one. And if you break that word no one down, and in the original language it means no one. I just don't understand the Bible. It's so complicated. No, it's really not. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He said, nobody, nobody, I don't care how good of a life they lived. I don't care how often they went to church. I don't care how much money they gave to the church. I don't care how much they helped the poor. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the deal. He could be a liar. And if he's a liar, then why are we here today? Like, I got a lot better stuff to do. I got, I got pork butts on the smoker right now that I'm wondering, man, is the temp spiking right now? Is it going down? What temp are they? Am I going to overcook them? Like, I'm just saying the things that are on my mind, okay? Some of I mean, you, you okay after everything went in the parking I'm fine. I'm just wondering if my, my pork butts are done, you know? That's just how my mind rolls. And, like, if he's a liar, then I got better stuff to do than be here today. He, 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 you could look at him as a liar. You could look at him as a lunatic. Because, I mean, let's be honest. If I rolled up in Canton and I said, man, I'm the only way to heaven. <laughs> Pastor G. Gary Lamb. G. Lamb. What a kind of G. G. Daddy. That's what, that's what I'd be if I was God. That's what I'd make everybody call me. <laughs> ain't y'all glad I ain't God? But if I rolled around town saying I'm the only way to heaven, you'd be like, that guy is a lunatic. <laughs> like, anybody ever been around, like, a lunatic person like that? When I lived in Iowa, so every town has a crazy person. And Iowa, in our town I lived in, we had, we called him Jesus Man. So Jesus Man rolled around on a bicycle with a milk crate on the front and a chicken in the, in the milk crate. He looked like Jesus. He wore a robe. He had a long beard. And he would preach to everyone that he was Jesus. And he was the way to heaven. Now, I dug Jesus Man. I took Jesus Man to lunch several times. I like Jesus Man. Jesus Man was always nice to me. Jesus Man would roll up into the church I pastored sometimes and want to preach. I'm like, that's not happening, Jesus Man. (laughs) I don't even know what his name was. That's what we called him, was Jesus Man. And one day he said, why? He said, I've been in here about ten times. I need to know why. And I looked at him and said, I love you. I dig you. I like hanging out with you. You're kind of different but you are crazy. (laughs) There wasn't no one in town who thought Jesus, man, was normal. No one even looked at him and said, man, he's a liar. Because they thought he was so crazy you didn't even think, because in his world he wasn't lying. In his mind he believed what he was saying. You ever met a liar who believes their own lies? Are they a liar or are they just a lunatic? Or both? So you're rolling up and Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He can be a liar, he can be a lunatic, or he could be the Lord. He could be exactly who he says he was. And the resurrection verified that. The resurrection confirmed that. When he died and everyone said, man, that liar's dead. Man, that lunatic's dead. Holy smokes, the tomb is empty. He's risen from the grave. He is no longer there. Holy smokes, he must be the Lord. See, without the raising from the grave, He's not who we believed Him to be. Dying on the cross wasn't enough. He had to conquer death for you and I. So the angel reminds them of the past, the angel reminds them of the present. God, I'd make a Baptist preacher happy today because you know what? We got another P today. The angel reminded them of the promise you didn't grow up in a Baptist church, you don't know what I'm talking about. All the points got to either rhyme or start with the same letter. The angel reminded them of the promise. They're reminded of his resurrection. And it shouldn't have taken them by surprise because he had told them, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to raise again. I mean, after all, they show up to the, to the tomb when the tomb is empty. It really is just a, a reminder of what he'd been promising all along. It's always funny to me. I showed up at my son's band thing one time. And he said, man, Dad, you came. I was like, well, I told you I was coming. I, I know, but, but you came. And I'm like... Son, I've come to everything you've ever done in your whole entire life. I've never missed anything. Like, I, I remember this one time. He was just shocked that I, that I came. And I was like, I don't get why you're shocked that I came. Well, I know this ain't your thing. I said, but you're my son, and this is the fifth one of these things that ain't my thing I have been to. And I'm going to come to the next thing that you do, even if your thing ain't my thing. Because you're my son and I made you a promise that I'd be here. Don't act surprised. <laughs> wasn't no reason to be shocked. Really, and I ain't saying we'd have done this, don't get me wrong, because I ain't got this kind of faith either. But they really should have showed up, saw the stone, <laughs> rolled away, and the angel, there, and they should have just thrown up their hand and fist bumped down and <laughs> so I knew, that I knew, that I knew it was the third day and he wasn't gonna be here today he'd been promising it all along it was a reminder of the promise they they shouldn't have been rolling up to the tomb to clean the body they should have been outside the tomb having a church service knowing that it was going to happen they they should have been outside the tomb worshiping knowing that hey he said that he said that he said on the third day he was raised from the grave we ought to be there and be ready for it man it was the fulfillment of the promise They should have been there to meet him when he came out of the tomb. (laughs) It's it's just crazy. We're so guilty of this ourselves, man. We forget the promises of God. We forget those promises that say he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We forget when times get bad. I've never understood the minute something gets bad. We blame God for it. I don't understand why God's got me in this situation. God don't got you in that situation. You got yourself in that situation until you realize that a man up to it, you ain't ever going to get out of that situation. (laughs) We forget the promises of God that wherever we go, he goes, that he will always take care of. He didn't say we'll always have great times and we won't have hard times, but he said, I'll never forsake you. We forget the promises of God. When life gets rough, we, we forget that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We forget the promises of God. It's easy to look at these people and say, man, you rolled up onto the tomb, and you were shocked. But then we're shocked. I've got this couple in this church. I, just, I, I told you, I play favorites. That's just how I roll. I ne- Most pastors don't say that I got favorites. And I got this couple. They've been in our church, I don't know, two years now. I, I, they, they, I just like them. Because, man, you know why I like? them? Because they never gripe and they never complain. And they always smile and they just roll with stuff. And they took our giving challenge back in January. And they've been messaging me stuff. And, man, nonstop they messaged me stuff. And, and they're like, man, we did this. And, man, God provided this. And, man, this just happened. We had money taken out of our account. But you know what? In the past, that would have ruined us. But, man, we had already been building up our emergency fund. And we were here. And we were here. And, and don't get me wrong. On one hand, I get all excited for them because they're so excited. I'm like, That's what I'm talking about, and on the other hand, I'm like, duh, like he promised he would do that. You can't outgive God, duh. I got this other dude texting me all the time. Same thing, same, same challenge. Man, I took it, and I'm shocked. Man, I had this, and he had a situation. I can't even remember the exact situation that he had, but he had a situation where he owed a certain amount of money, and he, he didn't faithful in his giving, and faithful in his giving, and somehow something happened where he got some kind of check, and it was almost to the penny, the exact amount they owe, and I'm like all excited, don't get me wrong, I was excited for him, and I'm like, yeah, and then I'm like, duh, and that's the promise of God, man, that's the promise of God, I, I, mean, I, I love in Joel, it says, I, I will restore what the locust devoured, I, someone posted that the other day, I've got it tattooed down my leg, I shouldn't be shocked where I am today, I destroyed my life and ruined my life and lost everything. And God said, hey, I'll restore it. And God restored it. People ask me, would you ever go? I'd never go back. I mean, I love where I'm at today. Man, I... I, I'm excited for where I'm at today. All the pain and all the trials and all the self-inflicted stupidity and wounds. Man, I'm where I'm at today. I dig my wife and I dig my kids and I dig my life. And man, I, like, I, I love, man, I don't dig it. I love it. Because God restored what the locust. But why should I be surprised by that? He said he'd do it. He didn't say when he would do it. He said he would do it. We act so shocked. When God does what he says he'll do. Now, I'm going to regret doing this because I hate to put him on a spot like this. But he's smarter than me. Y'all know Grady preaches for us. Everybody's been asking where Grady's at. Grady moved to South Carolina, folks. He cannot drive from South Carolina to church all the time, okay? He ain't, I didn't run him off. Okay, But Grady... How many, do you know the how many promises there are in the Bible? Just make a lot. Okay, so, so Grady's no smarter than me. I thought Grady's going to be like 7,432. I learned that at my seminary. So Grady don't know any more than me. But hey, there's a lot, right, Grady? A lot. Like every page is full of promises. And we forget those promises. And we act surprised when those promises happen. Oh, by the way, I lied to you about being short. We ain't getting out of here early. So Listen. They were reminded of the promises of God. We need to cling to the promises of God. Man, how can we live with unforgiveness and bitterness and hurt and anger and all the things we live with when we are forgiven by God? Learn from the past, but don't live in the past because the promises of God said, Man, listen, He is with us every... mm They reminded him of his past. I'm about to get choked up over here. I don't even get choked up. The present, the promise, and then the angel. The angel reminded them with a proof. I'm about to really get old school Baptist on you with this illustration. I've never used this illustration in 20 years, but I dig it, okay? It's so cool. The Bible says in Matthew 20, he is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, and I dig this part. It said, Come and see. Come and see the place where he lay don't take my word for it come check it out roll up in this tomb like how you like here's the question i got i'm sorry this is just how my add mind works like you think the angel was sitting up there like crisscross applesauce on the stone you think he was kicked back on the stone because that's how i'd have been if i was the angel i'd have been like my back against the cave and my, like kicked back like go check it out or you think he was laid out like it's like i'm an angel man like, I don't know, I just think about them type of things. Like, how was the angel chilling on the rock? And he said, this makes me sort of believe he was just laid back. He's like, come and see. He didn't say, I'm going to get down and come and show you. He said, well, check it out yourself if you want to. I'm just going to chill here while you do it. The angel invited them to see with their own eyes that Jesus was gone. Later on in the other account, John, it's pretty powerful. Peter and John, they arrived there. And John records the fact that the linen cloths had been wrapped around Christ's body were laying there empty. So what they had wrapped him in was now laying there empty. And, and, and then he talks about a napkin that's folded nicely off to the side. Look what it says in John chapter 20. So he, she came running to Simon Peter. These are the women. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, him, said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put them. They're still doubting. Freaking angel has told them what is going down. And they are still doubting. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's kind of like being like the fifth beetle. Like the other disciple. I saw someone with a beetle shirt on and someone with a beetle tie on. I don't know if it's like Beetle Day or what's going on, but that's like being like the fifth beetle. He bent over. He bent over. And looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came running up along him, went straight into the tomb. Peter said, "I got to see it for myself." He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth, the napkin that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its place, separate from the linen. See, th- this is powerful right here. It- it's the proof, and it's powerful for two reasons. They came in. And it shows that the linen that he was wrapped in was laying there. There was no sign of human intervention. It was as if the body had just vanished and it was laying there. If you're rolling up on a tomb to steal a body, and old BTW, the soldiers are still alive, remember? So if you're able to get past the soldier somehow, roll the stone away, you're jerking that body up and you're rolling. You ain't trying to get that stinky body that's been laying in them clothes for three days out of that linen. You're just rolling with the whole thing, the whole mommy, and everything. And you're getting out of Dodge. If you unwrapped him, you're unwrapping and you're throwing it down. It's not just laying there. Like, poof, something disappeared. Okay? So the, 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 what he was wrapped in was laying, and then the, the linen cloth that was wrapped around his head, the Bible says it was folded there. Now, you need to understand something. In this custom, when you were a, um, a master, you owned a large plantation, there was a sign with the napkin. And so, if you were going to get up from the table, a way you would send a servant of yours a code, the code that, hey, I'm leaving, I'm done with dinner, and I'm not coming back, is you would take your napkin and just throw it down. That means you're not coming back, and the servant could move in and begin to clean up. But if you took the time to take the napkin and fold the napkin just so right and lay it right in its right place that let the servant know without you telling the servant don't miss this I'll be back the napkin was laid there folded God was saying Jesus was saying I told you I'd be back and I'm back that's the proof right there they saw it with their own eyes So man, the angel shows up and there's a moment where they remembered the past and there was a moment where they remembered the present and there was was a moment where they remembered the proof And, and there was a moment they remembered the promise and then I'm gonna get out of here and we're gonna go home. But then the angel reminded them of their purpose. I want some of you to hear this today and I'm not even trying to be funny when I say this. I'm not trying to guilt you today. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just a straight shooter and if you can't deal with that, probably the wrong church for you. I want some of you to hear it because some of you will not be back till Christmas. No, and I want you to know this. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a provision for your... I mean, you could go with the peas all day long. Man, tell you what. Then go quickly, the angel said. Then go quickly, the angel said. Then go quickly, the angel said. And tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I have told you. Some things just don't change. We talked about this the first week of the series. The angel's chilling, the angel's done his job, and he says, Oh, BTW, now go tell other people he's alive. Go let the world know he's not dead. Let the world know he did exactly what he said he would do. Let the world know that he made some promises to you and he kept those promises. Let the world know there's proof that he's no longer here. Go and tell the world that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. Holy smokes. Go tell those disciples who are cowering in fear thinking they're next. Go tell those disciples who are doubting because Jesus is dead now. Go tell those disciples who, who are wondering what are, are, are returning back to their former life. He said, I go fishing, man. Deuces. Jeff, that's, that's what Jeff, Walter. Peter and Jeff Walter must have been the same person. Like Jeff, Jeff would be like, oh, Jesus is dead, I'm going fishing. You know, man, go tell them. He conquered death, and he's alive. Man, what a message that the women were given that day. I dig that it was women too, because that would make a bunch of Baptists choke on their tongue right there. Mm. Go tell them it was a message of hope. It was a message of life. It was a message of victory. Go tell them because it's a message that every person needs to hear. May we never forget the message of Jesus Christ. Some of you here today need that message. You're in a dark place. You're in a sad place. You're in a rough place. You're looking for answers and you can't find them. And you're trying to find fulfillment in your marriage and fulfillment through living vicariously through your kids. And maybe some of you are trying to find fulfillment through losing, suspending reality temporarily while you get high or you get drunk or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, the only answer for you, the only hope for you, the only victory for you is Jesus. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so my question for you today is, is do you have a personal relationship with him? It's not some complicated thing. The church has done a really good job of complicating it. But it's not complicated. Man, I I believe what he did. He paid the price for my sins, he rose from the grave. I put my faith in what he did not what I'm doing. There's no magical prayer I can give you to pray. There's no magical one, two, three, do this with me. It's you making that decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did over 2,000 years ago. That moment can become your moment. That doesn't mean you're not gonna have heartache in life. It doesn't mean you're not gonna go through hard times in life. It doesn't mean you're not gonna deal with heartbreak in life. It doesn't mean you're not gonna get betrayed in life. It doesn't mean you're gonna deal with unforgiveness in life. It doesn't mean you're not gonna go through hard times in life. (laughs) what it means is you won't go through those things alone. When we can't see what's coming, he knows this. He says in Isaiah, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. I tell people all the time, he's like, you've heard me say, he's like Crocodile Hunter, man. He's going ahead of you. He's got that machete, and you can't see what's around the bend, and he's done whacked it away. He's like, hey! Come on. It's good over here. You're safe. Hey, well, it's going to be rough up here. We've got to cross this river, and the rapids are crazy. Don't worry, though, I got you. I'm going to get you through it. Some of you are looking for answers in all the wrong places, and the answer is Jesus. It was a moment that changed the world, and today it can be a moment that changes your life. We do this day, every head bowed and every eye closed, and nobody's looking around. I wonder if you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You say, Gary, man, I've, I've never made that decision to trust him and put my faith in him. I, I, I've read about him and I've lived and, and I've come to church and I've done my thing and I've done this, and I've done, but I've never put my faith in him and I want to do that today. I wonder if you'd raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Here's the deal. It's just a matter of doing it. If a little prayer helps you kind of bridge that gap, it's real simple. God, I love you. I understand what you did, man. I put my faith in you. But it's really not a prayer that can save you. It's just a decision to put your faith in him that saves you. If you did that today, man, i rejoice with you. I'd love you to tell me that after the service. Uh, Man, I'd love to just rejoice. The Bible says heaven rejoices when you did that. Now, church, let me ask you this. How many of you have just forgot how powerful that moment was 2,000 years ago? I want you to be honest. No one's looking around. Raise your hand. Today might be another moment for you where you just recommit. Fall back in love with what Christ has done. I get it. You're hurt. I get it. You've been beat up. I get it. You feel abused. But here's the deal. Maybe you just need to get back to Jesus. I tried that and and things still went wrong. Yeah, Yeah. It's called life. If you tried it, quote unquote, and you thought everything was going to be great, you were trying it for the wrong reasons anyway. I have to regularly get back to this place in my life. This ain't a one time thing. It's re- sometimes it's every day to me. God, man, I got to recommit what you did to me, Lord, for me, and I'm back. My family get focused. Sometimes it's a monthly thing. Sometimes it's a year. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I trek along good for three or four months, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm falling apart again. I need to get refocused on that moment. I wouldn't leave here today forgetting about that moment.